So my name is Brian Whitaker. Um, today, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, who's our lead pastor, has trusted me with God's pulpit, which is Jonathan's pulpit, to bring the Word of God accurately, lovingly. And um, we're just going to sit back and unpack, sit back, unpack John and I together as a family. The beauty of Scripture is, guess what? Spoiler alert, God already wrote it. We don't have to do much except for, except for pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us through um, this sermon today. So let's bow our heads um, in total adoration to God. And Father God, as we bow our heads to you, we ask you to set aside every single thing we think we know about John 9 today. We may have presuppositions of what it means and what it doesn't mean, but, but uh, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you settle our minds and help us to unpack this, translate it, look at it, not for what it isn't, but for what it is, and that we can ultimately leave here feeling refreshed, re-energized, and be reminded of what a great Savior we have. In Jesus' holy name, amen. amen. So let's open up our, um, well, first of all, we've got a lot to cover today. We're going to have literal references, we're going to have spiritual references, and metaphorical references. Notice I didn't say allegorical, okay? Uh, I would love to spend a few hours going verse by verse. It's already going to take us two hours, so sit back. I don't know where Joel is. It's funny when Joel says it, but no, it's not going to take, it's not going to take two hours, though. But, um, so please open your Bibles to chapter, John chapter 9, preferably a paper Bible. I'm old school, but I am breaking the rule today because there's no lights above me, and I don't want to hear any electrician jokes. We can work on that at another time. <laughs> um, the reason I say uh, no phones is because it's very tempting to look at our Tic Tac accounts, our Facebook accounts, and our weather alerts, and then look at the text message, and oh, let me just be quick. Uh, but I don't get any of that on here, I assure you. But whatever you're comfortable with, I just prefer the, the paper. Um, so let's open up our Bible to John chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you're in luck. There's the black ESV version right in front of you, behind the back of the pew in front of you. Did I say that right? In the back of the pew in front of you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, John chapter 9. So let me break that rule and let me open it up here. I'm going to read it to you. If you read along, starting in verse 1, of course, Jesus heals a blind man. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when nobody can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud or rubbed it on the man's eyes and said to him, go, wash in a pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he looks like him. It's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the, to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And it was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him now how, I'm sorry, he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a long, there was a, a big division among them. 
So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that, though, I was blind and now I see. He's blind. The, guy, the guy's answered the question. He's blind and now I can see. Don't ask me anything else about him. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you were not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, You're a disi- you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for the man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. A lot going on here. I promise we're not going to be hard uh, looking at this. But let's, uh, let's, let's start right in the beginning. I mean, what a great biblical story we see here, right? We see sight being restored, physical sight being restored. We also see in the end spiritual blindness being restored. Um... Why do we see these miracles back uh, in, in biblical times? Well, first of all, it was so people would see, well, who's this Jesus guy? And he, he and the 12 apostles and Paul were given a spiritual gift of healing. So people could see and in wonder, and hopefully they'll believe. If anybody was, was going to restore my sight as a man, I would hope that everybody I knew believed that God did this because Lord knows as humans, we cannot do it. And then some people will say, well, if you ordain me like the kids have here, they'll call me Pastor Brian. Most people would say, well, Brian, how come we don't see physical miracles today? And you know what the answer is? I don't know if they happen or not. I know my family, my wife, you all know, had a, had a, a physical thing healed. We know that the biopsy said and the scan said there was cancer and it was gone. We all, cel- we all celebrated that, right? We have our, our, our sister who had a brain tumor removed, right? She's doing pretty well. So we do see this. It's just not always in our face. Sometimes we got to look for it. And I believe that every time we have a cold healed or COVID is healed in us, that's God healing us. And we should always give glory to God every time that, we're, that we healed. And we should pray for it. And I'm quick to remind people how blind 
and deaf I was. I was blind to see Jesus. I didn't want to hear the word, and I was dead to sin, but due to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, I will be resurrected one day, shed this earthly body, take on one like Jesus, and serve God for the rest of my life. Does that not sound good? I can't wait to go there, but not, not that quick. We have work to do here, okay? Don't hear me say that quick. So we're going to start at John 9, where he heals a man, right? It's physical. And then we're going to see what happens when what I've titled unbelievers investigate a miracle. Unbelievers investigate a miracle. Now you may say, hold on a minute. The Pharisees believe. We're going to get to that. There's a reason why I said unbelievers. And we're going to conclude what, in what I believe is the most important part of this chapter, to see the curing of spiritual blindness. So reflecting back to last week, Pastor Jonathan, like I said, it, I, he trusts me today to be up here and, and preach the word of God um, accurately and lovingly and, and um, not from me through the Holy Spirit, but he so faithfully preached on John 8 last week. If anybody was here, it was one of those aha sermons. But I want to pick up at the last verse in chapter 8 where it's Jesus was, he was asserting his deity in the temple, right? And they didn't want to hear it, so what did they do? They said they picked up stones and they were going to stone him. Sometimes English language in the Bible is kind of, kind of fun, right? It's like he hid and he walked out. If someone's trying to stone me, I'm going to run. I'm going to run for it. We pick up in verse 9 where Jesus seems very calm for somebody that was about to be stoned to death, right? It says, as he passed by. Well, I guess, you know, he's Jesus. He's, he shouldn't be worrying too much about what's going on, right? And as he's passing through the temple gates, we know he had to go from the temple through the gates, right? You can't walk into a wall. Well, Jesus can, but we would have to leave this church by one of the doors if we had to leave, right? And outside these temple gates were beggars. They were beggars. They were people that were deformed. They were abandoned. They were orphaned at birth for many reasons. We're going to look at that soon. And John is very specific to say from or since birth. Why was he so specific about that? Two reasons I came up with. Number one, if it was, no one could ever say the healing was, he was temporarily blind and it just so happened that Jesus made this clay out of his spit and all of a sudden he went to the pool and, it, and, it, and he, was, he was healed, that it was just a coincidence at that day that he was healed. Okay, I think that's one reason. But I think the other reason was to remind us that we're all born blind, spiritually blind, and it will never be restored unless we lead a life not only believing in Jesus, we could believe all we want, but also being a servant of Jesus, yielding our lives so that the Holy Spirit can work through us to exalt Jesus Christ. That's why we're spiritually blind. We're never going to be restored unless we live a life following and serving Christ. So I also said that this man was a beggar. Well, the scripture says that. How do we know? Verse 8 tells us. Now, remember, it was a common belief in biblical times that if a child was born blind, if they were uh, mentally disabled, if uh, they were deformed in any way, that it was due to generational sin. Uh, I believe Deuteronomy speaks about that. So even the disciples, the 12 apostles, the original, they asked Jesus, they said, well, who do you think sinned, his, him or his parents? Right away, it has to be that old... Remember, a lot of the apostles were Jewish, right? So they believed in Jewish tradition. So, of course, they're asking Jesus, well, who sinned, okay? And we see modern day today. Don't we see sometimes people come in who are down in their luck? They come right out of the hospital, or we have somebody who wants a hamburger because they're hungry. It was a great place to be because the beggars thought that because it's a house of worship, just maybe they'll walk in the walk and they'll show compassion and maybe give them food, money, or whatever it is, Okay. Um, and going into verse 4, this is, this is really cool. Let me just pull it back up here. Verse 4, look at this foreshadowing that Jesus talks about. He says, me, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus uses a, his own metaphor referring to himself as, as um, his death to come, the works of him. He says, 
We must work. We must work. Did you notice that? It doesn't say I have to work. Now, we, can be, we need to be very faithful to the text today. So we're going to tread carefully, but I'm going to show you what that we was all about. And why did he say it was daytime and while he's here, he's the light? Because there's a death coming, right? He's the light of the world. He uses day and light in a reference to himself, but he also uses darkness and he uses nighttime with a reference to his death that he's actually predicting and foreshadowing here. And that's right from the words of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Dark, the daylight will be extinguished and night will come. That's, when it, that's his death. Okay, so let's talk about this. We only have a certain time on this earth. My wife always reminds me, our days are numbered. She reminds me a couple times a week because we're supposed to, we're supposed to be out there, you know? Sometimes it's like, babe, I don't want to lead small group. I don't want to... And she'll say, our days are numbered with that beautiful smile. You know, you know I want to I thank the Lord for giving me the honor and the privilege to be here, but I can't do any of this without my wife, Grace. She, she's just so supportive. She, I didn't know Asian women can blush, but she is. <laughs> but, you know, without, without somebody in ministry, it says two are better than one in Ecclesiastes, right? Two are better than one. But notice they also say a quarter of three strands can't be broken. So who's the third, the third strand? It's God. That was random, by the way. Loving the Holy Spirit moves the room. Okay, so where were we? I lost my train of thought there. So we should happily and joyfully serve the Lord, right? Ephesians 2.10 clearly tells us that, that we're born and that we need to do the good works that God already planned for us, that God has already set aside for us. So we want to do this joyfully, right? We, we've been saved from a sure death and a doom in, 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 in hell, but yet we're not going to be there because of the redemptive work once again. I'll keep reminding you that several times today because we were dead. Okay, we were dead at one time, and we can't deny that. I know, you guys all know what my legacy was, right? I, I've been very open about it. Dead to alcoholism, maybe end up in a jail cell somewhere, but no, my new legacy is that I'm gonna tell everybody I know about Jesus Christ, including my brothers and sisters here, anybody on the street, because it's so real. The word of Jesus is so real. It's sweet, and I love talking about it. It's the only time I like myself or love myself is when I'm teaching the word of God. So in verse five, we, he's, we talk about the light of the world again, right? So as long as he is in the world, he is the light. But we know that Jesus was ascended, right? We all know what the ascension is when, he, when Jesus went to heaven to be back with the Father. So now what? The light's gone. What about the Great Commission? What about the Sermon on the Mount? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus tells the crowd, you are the light of the world. I don't think a lot of people remember that. Jesus is the light, but he's been ascended. We have the Holy Spirit, so who's the light? We are. He tells everybody on the Sermon of the Mount, right? And he says, let your, shine, let your light shine before others so they may see good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Wait a second. So that they may see the good works? Does that mean you grab a shovel and take your neighbor and say, I'm just shoveling, I'm not doing it for recognition, though. No. Like, we, we can't do good deeds and just boast about it. Well, how about, like, if you give a financial blessing, don't go put it on Facebook. You know, we don't, sometimes this is caught, not taught. I love that expression. We need to love people and serve people to the point where they say, why? Why do they love us so much? There's a book that my wife and I read about a Muslim lady that came here. She was part of the PLO. Palestinian Liberation Organization, and the only people that loved on her were Christians. The only people that served her were Christians. And she wrote a book, Love Them Till They Ask Why. Why? Because we're saved, and we love God with all our might, heart, soul, and mind, and we also love our neighbors. Who's our neighbors? Everybody. Doesn't mean that the guy next door in the fence over here, okay? I love this. Remember, this is caught, not taught. Sometimes the only Bible, somebody may even get a glimpse of is how we treat one another, how we treat our spouses, how we live in behind closed doors. True belief, true worship in God by how we treat others and love our neighbors. 
Let's get back to the text. If I go too far this way, someone say, go back to the text, all right? Uh, <laughs> so what do we know about the miracle? He used spit and mud and rubbed it on his eyes or anointed, right? He instructed the blind man to go to the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And you know something? When I was preparing this, um, I was saying Siloam, scent. The word apostle means to be sent forth or sent from. So maybe this is some kind of spiritual meaning. You know, we got to be very careful when we study the Bible. Notice I said not read the Bible. We need to study the Bible. Be a biblical detective. What is going on? Who is the culture? Who is the audience? What were they saying? So there's nothing there other than Hezekiah built aquifers and tunnels like we saw in Rome just to fill this pool up. That's it. There's nothing else. I can't do any better than that because it's not there. I'm not going to put something there that was never there or not supposed to be in there, right? We also know that the miracle was instant. How do we know that? It says he went to the pool and he could see. Biblical timelines are kind of tough. Like you could see at one point in Acts, it's like a 13-year gap before we actually see Paul go on mission. But this seems to be instant. Now let me ask you a question. Was it the mud and spit that healed him? Was it? It wasn't the mud and spit, was it? Jesus could have used anything. He could have used the hay. He could have used, I don't know, molasses. No, it wasn't the fact that it was a spit and mud combo. It was the fact that the man believed that Jesus can do it. The fact that he was obedient, okay? And he, it, 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 it's like when Paul, when he, when he took the scales off his eyes, when he went to go to Ananias, it wasn't that. It was the fact that you believed. He came to believe. And we're seeing that here once again, okay? But immediately we see some encounters begin. First with who, who's paying attention to neighbors, all right? We're trying to figure out how this happened. How can a man born blind possibly see? It's kind of ironic, though, here um, that they would ask a, a man who was blind who did it if he couldn't see, right? Like, we know he's blind from the, from the text. We know he was physically blind from birth because John was very specific about that. It doesn't say how he got to the pool either, but somehow he got there. We know that he got to the pool. And then they ask, well, where is he and who is he? Again, asking a blind man who it was and where he went. What was he able to tell him from the text? Like a lot of miracles in the Bible. All I know was a man named Jesus who performed this miracle. It was a man named Jesus who cured his blindness, his physical blindness at this point in the scripture, okay? This is the part where I call it unbelievers investigate a miracle. How many times when we're at work, uh, I know especially with me being in union construction, there's like, there's like 4% us and 96% brokenness, drugs, alcohol, filthy jokes, drawing dirty pictures on the wall, and... That's the unbelief I deal with. And anytime I bring up something, the other day they saw me sermon prepping at the table and I started making these jokes. And I could be a tough guy, born and raised here, building buildings my whole life. We have that pride, right? But then I'm like, you know, Dennis and I always talk about that. But, you know, uh, I did have to turn the other cheek. I did, I did set a boundary, though. But it's unbelievers will never give any credit to God. And we, st- we see this here in the Bible. This is about 90 AD, uh, uh, 85 to 90, somewhere in there, give or take, is approximate. Don't text me after, hey, right, I was wrong. It's somewhere in that, in that, in that, in that area. Um, and we see they, they bring the man to the Pharisees. The Pharisee was a religious leader, right? Um, they, they were distinguished by really one thing, strict adherence to the law. They followed the law, and you'll see that with, by following the law, being so legalistic, they forget how graceful, merciful, and loving our Father is. So they also thought that they were holier than everybody. I think everybody can attest to the fact of what I just said, right? A lot of us are in 
office spaces and construction sites and law enforcement, and we see brokenness, but we wear the banner of Jesus Christ on our heads, and we have to walk the walk. Remember, caught, not taught. Okay, I also want to challenge everybody to be very careful when we use words like unbeliever, non-believer, secular, because that can be um, misconstrued as self-exaltation. Like, we could always say, well, secular people and this and that. Well, we're being just like the Pharisees. We're putting ourselves on a pedestal. Unbelievers, non-believers, secular people are a part of our mission field that we should never think that we're better. We should be humbled and grateful that God even thought about us to save us. Because I know where I was going. I know where a lot of you are going. A lot of us are very close in here, right? Never, never, never forget that. Don't put ourselves on a pedestal. Don't do that. My professor Ponder at my seminary, when he, when he wants to get a point, he'll say, don't do that. Don't do that, okay? No self-exaltation. But we got to remember, too, we see the Pharisees already had their verdict in mind even before they started to question him, just like we see people do today. No matter how much reason or logic you can try and use, that's why sometimes I'll start a conversation. If I could prove Christianity true beyond a shadow of a doubt, would you become a Christian? You'll see a lot of people say, nope. 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 No matter what you show me. Reason and logic doesn't always work because there's pride involved here. So they looked at him as... Um, breaking several laws, probably the biggest one claiming he was God. For those that say that God never claimed he was God in the Bible, please let me show you after, after service. The Jonathan brought that up last week. That's another naysayer statement. Um, and we all, Now the investigation is going to go nowhere, right? They've already made up their mind. Now when I said unbeliever, they believed in the God of the Torah, but they were so blind that they couldn't see the fact that the Messiah in their own Bible, in their own Pentateuch, Torah, first five, whatever you want to call it, the Messiah to come was none other than Jesus Christ. He was doing miracles right in front of their eyes. But guess what? They didn't care because they couldn't take credit for it. Because remember, they were holier. They thought they were holier. Now, he was very specific, John, here to point out the, that this miracle was done on the Sabbath when Jesus restored the man's sight. And I believe most of us, we, we know now, we're legalistic, trying to be religious, not, not being believers, being religious, adhering to laws more than worshiping God, and that they forgot how loving God is, and then they bring on the fourth commandment here. The fourth commandment is keeping the, keep holy the Sabbath, right? I got to do this. Does anybody ever see how to remember the Ten Commandments on your fingers? I know the Grace Group and by the Bible study I lead know this. Has anybody seen it? If you, if you remember, you can play along. First commandment, there are no other gods, right? You want to play along? Second commandment, no copies, no graven images, right? Three, thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord, thy God in vain. Four is keep holy the Sabbath. We bow on the Sabbath. Five, honor your mother and father, or that's kind of <laughs> modern-day people don't modern-day people don't believe in that. It worked for me. Right? It worked for me. I told you what my legacy was. Six, okay. This is the bullet. This is the gun that shall not kill. Seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's for a man and a woman, husband and wife. Not these people, just husband and wife, right? Eight, thou shalt not steal. Some cultures, they cut your thumbs off when you steal. Nine is, look, I only have nine fingers, but I'm lying. I actually have ten. Bear false witness, don't lie. And ten is don't covet, okay? We're going to have a test at the end. That's something I learned from, from Dr. Ponder, who's one of my favorite professors. He's a PhD and keep things simple in seminary because I, we need simple, and that's just how simple we get down in there sometimes, okay? Sidetracked again. So this man is questioned over and over and keeps giving the same answers to the Pharisees, yet they reject his testimony, know how much proof there is. We just talked about that, right? Now we know this man has parents, right? Because the text says so. Well, what do we know about the parents? Although they did assert and confirm he was born blind, 
From birth, he couldn't see. They didn't know how he can see now. They just say, he's of age, ask him. I'll talk to him. Why are you asking me? I don't know. And I think we can say that they abandoned him, and I have reasons why I say that. They didn't care for him. He was rejected by most. And we could say that because why? If they really truly loved their son, no matter whether he was blind or not, he wouldn't be begging outside the temple. So because of these mystic Jewish laws back in the day, he was abandoned and there to beg. So they, they immediately throw their son under the bus. Now, I know there was no buses back then, but it would have sounded really weird to say they threw him under the fruit wagon or something, you know? But, but they threw him under the bus. I don't know. I mean, he's of age, you know? Because why? Verse 22 tells us they had a fear. They were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, to be Christ, he would put out of the, be put out of the synagogue and be put out of the nation of Israel. And for them, that was the ultimate punishment, kind of like ex- excommunication or shunning today. It's not a good place to be. Don't go there. Don't do that. So they reject his story. His parents show disdain, but no matter what, he still sticks to his story. He's not giving in. We shouldn't give in. When people want to talk about God, don't give in. Don't shy away. Be bold. Tell them, yes, this is what I believe. And it's not blind faith. When people say blind faith, it's not blind faith. Spoiler alert. We have evidence. We have evidence. It's called faith because of the evidence. You have archaeological, you have uh, historical, and you have the text. And it all adds up. It's like one and one, it's like 10 to the one and a trillion zeros that the Bible can be hoaxed or fake when they put it through their contextual criticism machine, however that looks. But we know that they do it for wrong, so <laughs> Contextual criticism is great. It proves the Bible's validity, right? After, and being holier than now and not realizing that this man who performed the miracle was in fact Jesus Christ, they say to the man, who are you to teach us? You're gonna teach us? Like, we're Pharisees, don't you know? You know, like, Many people from New York like say, don't you know who I am? I used to say, don't you know who I think I am? <laughs> it wasn't me. And what do they do? They cast him out. They cast him out of the temple. Let's take a, couple of, a note about a couple of things. The man who was cured from his blindness, he was very well versed in the Old Testament. Well, why do we say that? Because he, first of all, he knows there's no history of blindness ever being cured. He knows it's the Sabbath. He knows how to characterize a prophet. And he already said, Jesus, he's God. He's the one that does the will of God. He's the one who God hears. He's a prophet. But we're going to see, we already read, he also knows the term son of man. Son of man. For the biblical detectives in the room, I know your ears are perking up because we're going to talk about where have we seen that before? Where have we seen son of man? Dennis, you're not allowed to call out. (laughs) So physical blindness is mentioned in the Bible uh, often. Physical blindness, for a lot of reasons, back in those times, is because there was no modern medicine. The mom could be sick. She could have a bad virus. When the baby went through the birth canal, it would do, it, it was, it's just the way it was. It was all over the Bible. But guess what? There are so many references to spiritual blindness using light and darkness uh, throughout the Old and New Testament. I'm going to rattle them off. Sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint today. I couldn't figure out how to squash it, but I don't think we really need it. Let's look, Isaiah 43.8, people who are blind even though they have eyes. Jeremiah 5.21, people are foolish and senseless who have eyes, but what? Do not see. Isaiah 56.10, the corrupt leaders of Israel describe the watchmen who are what? Blind. The apostle Paul, Acts 26, he was sent to bring the gospel to the nations, right? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to what? Light. We see in darkness, light, blind. Revelation 3.17 characterizes the world of sin as wretched, naked, miserable, poor, and Blind over and over again. I say a nine, I say a 29, I say a 42, I say a 60. All these places, the Messiah is seen as the one who brings spiritual light to the world in place of darkness. And in the midst of darkness, a light will shine when the Messiah comes. We also saw it again how Pastor Jonathan faithfully taught on, on John chapter 8 
in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life again. Again, preached faithfully by our preacher, pastor, brother, friend. He's everything to us. Now, where's Jesus during this time? Jesus just let this man go? No, we already read it. Now, look at this in chapter, uh, verse 35. Jesus asked the man a simple question. Do you believe in the son of man? Do you believe in the son of man? Again, I hope you're spidey sense of your ears are wiggling and say, I remember seeing this somewhere in the Bible. And what does Jesus reply? Verse 37, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He answered, who is, who is he, sir? I want you to notice. I think I just skipped that by accident. Verse 36, he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Sir, notice the lowercase s, sir. It's just the title, like mister. Who is he that I may believe in him? And he replied, it is me, it's me. That's who it is. And notice what he says. He says, Lord. He doesn't go to sir. He goes from sir, lowercase s, to Lord in three sentences. The moment he believed, he realized he was God, or he realized he was God. He believed. There's no more lowercase. What is Lord? It's God. It is God, I believe. And he worshiped him. That's that's important. It says he worshiped him. And we're going to get there in a minute. We're almost done, I promise. But let's rewind a little bit. We can't miss this either. Let's go back to verse 35. What are the three words I'm really emphasizing? What? Son? Very good. Thank you. I was hoping you weren't sleeping. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so where do we see this message of prophecy? Where do we, oh, message or prophecy. Prophecy isn't always predicting the future. Remember that. Prophecy is a message. A prophet brings a message to the people from God. It's not always predicting. It's not like Nostradamus where you got to kind of put the pieces together and say, oh, okay, yeah, there's going to have uh, global warmingness. No, it was, it, was, it was, he spoke about it. Let's all go to Daniel seven thirteen. I should have had the page number. I apologize, but I'll read it. Daniel 7, 13 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the what? Son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Daniel 7, 13, one more time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient days, and they brought him near before him. So let's get this straight. Let's, a couple of numbers here. I'm not a big numbers guy, but... Book of Daniel was written in approximately, I'm saying approximately 530 BC. John was written somewhere. I gave it abroad because you can look up 10 different sources and they all have different, between 70 AD and 90 AD, approximately. So Daniel said this 620 years before John wrote the gospel. 620 years approximately, he's talking about the son of man. And now you see Jesus saying, I'm the son of man. He's telling this guy 620 years later, and people will try and refute this and they'll figure out every reason why this isn't true. Just like the Pharisees, it can't be true. But you can't deny what the scripture says, especially in this day and age with contextual criticism, where they're proving everything and they can narrow it down a lot to a more, a more exact date. 620 years before this, Daniel talked about the Son of Man. Son of Man is mentioned 69 times in the first three gospels. They're called the synoptics, like synonym, sin, meaning the same, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And 12 in John, although I think my wife said 13. I'll go with 13. I might have missed one. And when we talked about blindness today, I was blind, but now I see. I'm assuming, or I'm going to guess, that a number of us thought about the song Amazing Grace. We said, I was blind, but now I see. It's one of the first things I thought of when I started preparing this sermon, which has been going on for a long time. I apologize to my wife for having to hear it over and over and over walking around with like one sock on and a stained wife beater, you know. It, it, it just, it just, it just kind of helps you get, get in, the, in the mode. The original writer of the song 
Amazing Grace. His name was E.O. Excel. Yes, Excel. I think Microsoft owes him some money, but that's another story. He talks about in the lyrics, was blind, but now I see how precious did the grace appear that hour I first believed. Was blind, now I see, okay? How precious did the grace appear the hour I first believed. To the best of my ability in my research, that EOXL was not physically blind. He wasn't. Matter of fact, I know he wasn't. So he realized his spiritual blindness when he wrote this song. And then we see this guy, the moment he believed, he, he worshiped. He worshiped God. Now, how do we apply this today in our lives? That's something we always have to try and figure out. Well, let's look at the statement in verse 38 again. He said he worshiped him. And that's the whole of what it means to be a believer with spiritual blindness that has been cured. We do an injustice to the word worship when we think it's only music. And I know I'm older than a lot of you in here. Worship is not just singing a song. Worship is our whole life. Of course, Charles does... Charles is not allowed to leave, ever. We have the best worship leader ever in the history of, of church music, right? Love you, Charles. And, and you know something? He brings on a, a, one component of worship, right? We can't just say I'm leading worship. Well, does that mean that you're leading, you're leading music? But how about how we're treating our neighbors, how we're treating our spouse? Do we love God the way that we say we do and go home and, and yell and curse at our, at our uh, kids and, and, and then get mad at them with the very words that they're using that you taught them? I'm going to rattle through this. We do an injustice, okay, to the word worship. So how do you know if you're a believer? First of all, John verse 4, 20, 24 says, the Father seeks true worshipers who worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not because we prayed a prayer one time. It's not because you prayed and asked God to do something for you. Not because you got emotionally moved by a drum beat in a Hillsong song, or you were in a group of believers that felt a tingle all of a sudden, Okay. How do you know if you're a believer? How do you know if you've been transformed? Well, first of all, you, it's by your fruit. Are you, are you making disciples like Matthew 28 commands us to? All right? Have you been trans- transformed by the way you act? Ask yourself, do I love Jesus Christ? Do I really love Jesus? Or do I just say it here on Sundays? Or do I say it on Monday nights in Bible study? Are we saying it or do we truly love Christ? If you love God, do you love the Holy Spirit? Do you view the Holy Spirit as God? Or do you think he's like Casper? He floats around every now and then when we need him to guide us for some selfish situation where we already know the answers. Use the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, spirit of wisdom, also the promise of the Father. The Father promised that when Jesus goes, he's gonna leave us the spirit so he can use us to exalt Jesus. Are you obedient? And if not, do you desire to be obedient? I mean, we all sin. I sin all the time, every single day, so many times, but I also have the desire to not do it anymore. Do you want to be obedient? Do you desire to honor, please, praise, and spread the word of God? Are you putting other things, making them more important on Sundays to come and gather with the people that love you? You know when they talk about forsaking the gathering? It says that we need to be here so we can encourage people that are maybe struggling. People come here. This is a very unique family. This is like, these are the people I love the most in my entire life. I hate to say it, more more than most of my blood family members because we're all in this together. We are all different shades, heights, everything, and we're all gathered under the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? It's for all nations, for all people groups, and that's why we're here, and that's why I love you so much, and that's why I'm up here. It takes a lot of love to come up here, because the, the, the human side of me says, I'm gonna make a fool out of myself, and I'm not gonna say the right things, and like Audrey was saying as I walked in today, she's like, just, just make this all about God, and that's what we're trying to do here. Are you picking up the phone when people call? Are you praying for people when they ask you to pray? Are you pausing your day? You know, I'm not saying look at me, but you know when people say they want to pray and I'm driving, I pull over. Let's pray right now. Let's find somewhere to pray. 
or are you just saying, I'll pray for you as a slogan and going back home and getting drunk and watching uh, things that God hates or music that God hates, okay? I'm not condemning any, believe me, but I do have a job today to teach and give ideas of how we can become better servants and worshipers of God. And I mean your whole life worship. Not raising your hand once a week in praise, like I said, which is good. Don't hear me say that. Okay, we were all born blind. Praise the Lord, not many of us were born physically blind, but we were all born spiritually blind. And until we have our sight restored by taking up our cross and following Jesus and serving Jesus, we'll still be blind and we'll never attain salvation. And I did promise you I'd leave you on a a journey from a miracle in the biblical times, why we may not see it often today. It was given to the people at that time. I'm not saying it doesn't happen today, but that was like the igniter. Look what we can do as followers of Jesus Christ, the original 12 plus Jesus and Paul, right? We also saw what it looks like when people investigate anything that we claim to be God's work. We still see it today. We see it probably every day in our lives if we're spreading the word, right? Um, And then we saw the spiritual blindness being cured and we saw how a man goes from looking to somebody as sir to Lord the moment that he believed. He was blind, and now he can see. I really hope, we're actually done, okay? I just really hope that, I didn't have to do much here today. God already wrote the script. I felt the calling for a long time. Thanks to Jonathan and making it really easy and showing me what to do. I ended up in seminary and by learning academically has brought my spiritual belief to an all new high and I just want to teach people. I want to teach you because I care about you and you know what? I care about your families as well. There are people who are spiritually blind right at our own dinner tables, my mom being one of them, you know? And every time I try to talk to her, she'll tell me why I'm wrong and this says that and this guy says this and you got to do this And I'm like, Mom, we don't have to do all that. Why? Because Jesus wouldn't have to die. If we have to do all this work stuff in the denomination I grew up, then why did Jesus die for us? He might as well just said, hey, you're going to work your way into heaven. I'm just going to live and walk the earth. You know, and no, that's not the way it works. Jesus died for us, so we don't have to work. But we do these things not for righteousness. We do it from righteousness. Let us pray one more time. Lord God, we love you, and we thank you so much for today. Um, thank you for this text uh, reminding us that we were born blind. We were born spiritually blind. And you took the scales off of our eyes too. And God, we pray that if we're not being obedient, well, none of us are being obedient, let's be honest all the time, God. But we do want to be obedient. What does it look like to step into obedience? What does it look like to live a life of worship? Holy Spirit, would you work through us so our children see the love of you, so our neighbors see the love of you? May we never do anything for boasting, or for pats on the back, but just do it because we love you so much and we're supposed to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To God be the glory in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Goffles Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.